So this is um, a book reading of um, one of my favourite books called Yes Man by Danny Wallace. Um, one little word, word that can change your life. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. Seller. I've met um, Danny. He's a BBC producer and he's written several books, many of which I like. One, another one he's written is called Join Me. But I'm going to read you the first chapter and see how we go. Um, maybe we'll even get through the whole book. I don't know. So just a little bit about Danny Wallace. Uh, Danny Wallace is a writer, producer and cult leader. In his last book, Join Me, the true story of a, of a man who started a cult by accident was described as one of the funniest stories you'll ever read by the Daily Mail and is currently in development for a film um, with Jim Carrey. Uh, it's, it's been published now. It's, been, it's, it's out there now. I don't think it was great but um, this, because they changed it a lot. Um, the original book's much better. His own BBC Two series, How to Start Your Own Country, airs in the summer of 2005 and has, um, and he has also presented before the likes of Sky One, Channel Four and Radio One. Yes Man is currently being adapted for a film by Warner Brothers, which must be strange for you because you haven't even read it yet. Danny is 28, well he was 28 in 2005, and lives uh, in an old match factory in East London. He says hello. His website is dannywallace.com. So, here we go. Prologue, in which we set the scene. In 20 minutes, it would be wet midnight. I was standing in the, ro in the rain outside the house of this rich banker in Las Vegas. I checked my pocket. I had everything I needed. The photos, the keys for the car, the silver pocket watch. More importantly, I had the gun because I'd been asked to kill a man and I'd said yes. <clears throat> I wasn't really. I hadn't, really. I mean, when was the last time you were asked to kill a man? It happens to me very rarely. And I'm not sure even that I could do it, to be honest. If you'd asked me today whether I could kill a man for you, I'd most likely refuse flat out. And even if I asked for more details, my decision would probably still be that I can't do it. No, I'd say. Surely you can resolve your issues with this man another way? And do you see my point? And yes. And, and say yes. And I'd suggest you beat him at chess or instead. And you'd walk away shamefaced yet impressed by my wisdom. Nope. I can honestly say, say I've never killed a man. Not on purpose. Anyway. And the only reason I forced you to imagine me on the verge of undertaking this mess, messy assassination in Las Vegas was to give you an idea of how my life could have gone. How this story could have started. Me, standing in the, in the rain, charged with a terrible and sinister mission, gun in hand. I mean, I hate rain. And I'd look rubbish with a gun. I wouldn't dare to be out um, on my own after midnight in Las Vegas. I'd, I'd rather frown upon murder. And 
I really don't know where a silver pocket watch came into this. So thankfully, the real story doesn't start this way. But the real story didn't, did take me to some very strange places, meeting some strange people and doing some strange things. And the real story takes place over several months, not so long ago. Several months which changed not just my life, but my entire way of life and my attitude to life. I should say thanks to all the people I've written about in the few hundred pages. Their names are real apart from those few cases where I've changed name or detail to save anyone any obvious embarrassment. Or, in one rather central and vital uh, person's case, just because they thought it would be so cool, um, so I asked. There is also, I'm afraid, the odd occasional occasion where... I've moved an event to a slightly different time or place. But that's for your own good. I don't want you to fall, you falling asleep on me. Uh, I've got some very important things to say. I wrote this book after keeping a diary. Some of that diary I've written uh, more than other bits. Some I didn't include at all. And some has made it in word for word. I recommend keeping a diary. Diaries are cool. Lastly, do me a favour. While you read this book, however long it takes you, and wherever you end up, make a note of all the times you could have said yes to something. And think about th where that yes would have led. It might come in really handy one day. You look very lovely, by the way. Danny Wallace, St. Petersburg, June 2005. So this is just um, a little by the side, but um, since I'm reading this book and because it's free, um, I would ask one question. If you like this um, book and uh, the telling of it, that you pass it forward, that you buy the book on Amazon or wherever and um, give it to someone else, maybe even the audio version of it would be great. Okay, so here we start. January 12. I've started this day, day diary to record all that all that is going on in my head, in my life. All that one day will be I will be pleased I recorded for posterity. If you're a historian from a future, please please save your thanks. Your time is better spent reading up on my thoughts and philosophies. So with pen in hand, I will say to you, life, I'm ready. Throw, throw at me what you will. Chapter 1. In which the story begins. It's quite incredible how a bus, a simple red London budge, can change your life. There were other reasons for why what happened eventually happened, of course. And I'm not saying it was all about the bus, but the bus was pretty high on the list. Or, more accurately, the man sitting next to me on the bus. He, here he is, right now, flicking through the evening standard, checking his cheap black watch, mere moments after uttering a sentence that, quite without um, his knowing had the most unexpected effect on me. 
it's like one of those moments in a cartoon when a second of complete when a second of complete and total revelation hits an unenlightened fool a moment which they're bathed in golden light from the heavens above their face a picture of comfort not only sound the chorus of a thousand angels of course life really isn't like that i'm on a crowded bus in the east end of london for a start and the only one the only thing uh, i'm bathed in is an unpleasant mist of sweat and coughs but it's still an epiphany and i'm still smiling from what i have heard smiling from what i've learned i start to wonder whether anyone else is feeling the same so i sneak a chance glance around to see if any of my fellow passengers have been struck by the man's man's simple message a message of hope of optimism and all the things i hadn't realized i'd been losing sight of but no one has not that i can see anyway it's okay though there's time for them because this man next to me this man changed everything maybe it was jesus said ian putting his pint on the table we were in the yorkshire grey and ian was a bit drunk or maybe it was buddha i'd love to meet buddha he looks like a right laugh what did that bloke look, bloke look like if he had a beard he'd probably he would probably be jesus and if he had belly he would probably be buddha he had a beard but it wasn't a jesus beard a belly then he said with what looked like real hope in his eyes did he have a buddha belly i'm fairly sure he wasn't buddha either this was an indian bloke his name was medi or something medi that sounds a bit like jesus no it doesn't and it wasn't jesus what would jesus be doing in bethnal green there were some nice des- discount stops in bethnal green jesus is the son of god ian he doesn't need discount shops cool imagine the pocket money you'd get if there were if you were the son of god um ian i'm trying to tell you about my life changing moment and you're going to going on about jesus and the pound shop sorry go on so there's this bloke on a bus last week who wasn't a deity deity or a son of god and um then there was also your diary yes there was also my diary high up on the list right under the bus was my diary a diary i had only started because i was afraid i would forget forget all the wonderful things i was doing all the dazzling crazy hazy times the important times the carefree times the times i'd look back on it um at, at <laughs> the times i'd look back on as the times of my life only when i flicked through flew it and i did realize that there was nothing to forget or rather nothing worth remembering things had been different last year last year was a year of adventures of fun of friends but slowly i began to realize 6 months into a new year that all my stories were about last year all my memories too i've been cruising on past glories dining on better times well that's not strictly true not true at all 
I've been dining in on them. For a number of months, I'd been labouring under the impression that everything in my life was fine. I was a single man in his mid-twenties, living in one of the most exciting times cities in the world. Turns out, I was a single man in his pants, sitting in his flat. Uh, it had happened to me once before, this strange sense of mid-twenties crisis. But it had happened when I lacked directions. Direction. These days, I had direction. Plenty of it. But the direction was down. In my mind, I was in London. I was one of London's young, thrusting urbanites. In my mind, I was always on the go. I always had something, somewhere to be and always in the thick of things. I thought I was something um, out of an advert. I probably even thought I had a moped. I couldn't have been more wrong about the moped especially. And this was um, what I finally would realise for sure after I got home from talking to the man on the, on the bus. I'd ended up talking to the man on the bus quite by chance. It was, until the moment, just another day working in the West End, followed by just another dash to the tube station in what was just another hopeless attempt to beat the rush hour and get home without spending an hour on a crowded train, with my cheeks pressed against a stranger's nipples, receiving severe paper cuts every time they turned a page of their book. We'd been standing me and this man, waiting for the Central Line train to take us from Holborn to East End, when the announcement that spluttered and spluttered its way over the tannoy. It was a security alert. We were being asked to leave. Our journeys had just gained an hour. We'd be shunted, shunted and squeezed onto a bus outside and driven home very slowly, during rush hour, on a rainy, rainy London night. The man I had raised, the man and I had raised an eyebrow at each other and smiled at the what's the world coming to way. But other than that, we didn't say a word to another, to one another. We'd simply started to, to walk up the stairs and to find out, uh, uh, walk up the stairs out of the station like the good, old-fashioned, obedient British citizens we were. Nice weather for this, said the man, as we jogged through the slanting rain and, and flashed our travel cards at the bus driver. I'd ha heart, but probably a little too hard, and we joined, some, we joined the seething masses of, cr of the crowds on the board of the bus. After ten minutes and three stops, we found seats for ourselves, and then another ten, um, we began to chat. Chat. Where are you headed? I'd asked. Aldgate, he replied. The man, as it turned out, was a teacher. And he was about to teach me. What did he teach you? said Ian. I'll tell you in a minute. Tell me now. I want to know what kind of wisdom he imparted to you that caused you to summon me here. I didn't summon you here. I s you sent me an email saying your entire life had changed and you wanted to tell me tell me about it and meet up. That's hardly summon summoning summoning. I was more saying 
Um, do you fancy a pint? Great, I do, thanks. I sighed, stood up, and went to get the next round in. Now that I think about it, my downward spiral had probably started after I'd been dumped by my ex-girlfriend, my girlfriend, in the late autumn. It was a shock to my system, a body blow that had really changed things. I don't go thinking um, I'm all hung up about my ex-girlfriend. This isn't one of those stories of obsession, regret, and of trying to get back together. I've never been someone who would offer, who would have made an effective stalker. For one thing, um, lacking as I do the necessary energies and having a decent pair of binoculars. It is just that being dumped puts, puts it into perspective. I'm not saying um, my three years with Hannah were wasted, because they weren't. They were great and warm and loving. I'm just saying that at the end of, the rela- of any relationship, you take a long, hard look at the years you've, been, you've had together and say, what now? So I did three years of growing up in two weeks. I returned to the world of freelance employment as a radio presenter at the BBC. I got a mortgage and a pension. I started a, a shop. I started to shop at Habitat and IKEA. I experimented with new and exciting pastas. I bought a colander, and some air fresheners and fountain pen. I learned to iron. I even bought a plant. Most of these were small changes, but soon, quite without any, without knowing, I developed a certain satisfaction in staying in, for pottering about, for tinkering with things, for slouching and napping and channel hopping. Soon that was all I wanted to do, and so I became the man who would wriggle out of any prior engagement. Who would spot an, uh, an invitation coming a mile off, and head it off at the pass. The man who'd gladly swap a night down at the pub just for a whiff of an episode of EastEnders. The man who'd send an email instead of attend a birthday, and who'd text instead of call, and who'd call instead of visit. I became the man um, who'd white lie, the man who always had an excuse, the man who always said no. And I was perfectly happy. Perfectly happy to be me, myself, and ironing. Perfectly happy until that night on the bus. Sitting next to that man. Okay, so there was this man, said Ian. And he sat next to him. So far, this isn't really what you'd call a classic anecdote. But what he told me was important, Ian. Yes, it sounds it. But what did he say? What did he say that actually um, changed things? Because right now, all I know, this man said something to you. Have patience. He said, have patience? No, that's what I said just then. What he said is more important. But what was it? It was my friends who noticed first. They'd noticed that I changed. Or that I wasn't around as much anymore. And I was just saying saying no a lot more. There were the odd nights down at the pub, of course, and always agreed that we would do do it more often, but it just never seemed to be the right night. I was too tired, or there was something I wanted to watch, 
or I just felt like being alone. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it didn't make me sad. It was a weird thing. Not while it was happening anyway. It only made me sad when I finally realised the effect it had on my friendships, on the friends I was letting down, or annoying, or disappointing, or even losing. But at the time, I just didn't notice. The sad fact is, saying no had become a habit. Aha, I knew it, said Ian, pointing his finger slightly too close to my face. I knew you were always making excuses. I know, I'm sorry. That night, when you said you couldn't come because you'd won a competition to meet Lionel Richie, was that an excuse? Yes. How about the time you couldn't come out because you'd accidentally reversed all your leg joints? That obviously were quite, that was quite obviously a lie, and I'm sorry. But there will be no more excuses. Honestly, Ian, I'm a changed man. Jesus, Dan. That night, I sent Hannah round to your house. You acted all offended, and she even suggested that you were making up excuses. Ian had become concerned that I wasn't going out enough anymore, so he decided to make to take matters into his own hands. Every couple of days, there would be another idea or an invitation, a suggestion for a night out. He'd send me e- the emails, text me, leave me a grumpy message on my answer phone. Danny, they'd said, I know you're there. How do I know you're there? Because you're always there. You're not picking up. Because you're scared I'll invite you out. Which is what I'm going to do anyway. We'll be at the pub from 8. I look forward to receiving your standard text message. Saying that you can't make it. And you're sorry. Um, we should have uh, And we should have fun. Bye. And then I'd get all hoity-toity and text him. And I'd say, I'm not actually. I'm out. But I can't make it. So I'm sorry and have fun. And then I realised that he'd left a message on my home phone and that to leave, to, and to have it heard, I would have to be, um, and to have heard it, I would have had to been in. And then I'd blush and he'd text back and call me a wanker. But then one evening Ian had bumped into Hannah and shared his concern. That Friday night, she turned up at nine or ten o'clock, unannounced, carrying a bottle of wine. So what's going on, she said, using her hand to brush some stale rice off the sofa next to this and taking a seat. How do you mean? You! What happened to you? Hannah filled some glasses while I considered the question. I didn't know what she meant. I checked myself in the mirror to see um, what could have possibly happened to me. Maybe someone had pointed a, a uh, had painted a tiger on my face and tried to balloon, tie a balloon to my ears. Nothing happened to me, honey. Well, I suppose that's true, huh? I mean, Dan, is that nothing happening to you? Nothing does any more. Apparently, your friends are worried. Where have they been all the Where have you been all the last six months? Here, I said, confused. I've been right here, precisely. You've been here. 
Where you, where were you on, on Steve's birthday? I was busy, I lied, trying desperately to remember what excuse I'd used in that time. I went to um, a women's women at war exhibition. I never said there were good excuses. Okay, and where were you there? Where were you when everyone else was at Tom's stag night? Again, I was busy, Hannah. Look at me. I don't know why I asked Hannah to look at me, as if um, it's not as if I looked particularly busy. I was just a stand. I was just standing up, a man standing up. You're no more busy than your friends. We've all got jobs, Dan, but we all find Dan find time to do other things. You've cut yourself off. We're concerned. And you don't have any fun anymore. I do. I've loads of fun. And I have loads of uh loads of new and I have loads of fun and, and new hobbies. Like what? I struggled to find an answer. Of course I had fun. Surely I did. I just couldn't think of any examples right now. Hannah had put me on the spot. That was all. There was something um, but there must be something I, I enjoy doing. I um, I enjoy toast, I said. You enjoy toast, said Han, who, because she was Norwegian, likes to be matter-of-fact about things. Yes, but not just toast, I said defensively. Other things too, like what? My mind raced. What else was fun? Theme parks. Right, said Hannah. So you've been eating toast and going to theme parks, have you? Yes, for six months, on and off. You hate theme parks, she said. So which theme parks? What? Which theme parks have you been going to? I think she may have been on to me. I looked around the room, desperately, desperate for inspire inspiration. Shelf, adventure. Sorry, I cleared my th- my throat. Shelf adventure. Shelf adventure? Yep. Hannah took a sip of her wine. So did I. Uh, Of my wine, I mean, not hers. Taking a sip of her wine would have spoiled the atmosphere. Any others, she said. Finally, I could tell. She thought I was going to enjoy... uh, she She was going to enjoy catching me out. Or was it just the shelf adventure? So you were making shelf adventure up too? I knew it, said Ian. Of course I was making up the shelf adventure. How many adventures can you have on a shelf? I couldn't find any couldn't find a thing on the on about it on the internet. Hanny knew you were lying too, you know. I guess you probably had, I said. Then and then what happened? This is about us, Dan. Is this about us, Dan? said Han, getting her stuff together in the hallway. Because we split up? I didn't know what to say. So I didn't say anything at all. It just seems like you're doing all those things that I would have... It just seems like you're doing all the things that I once have loved you to do. The job, the mortgage, staying in home in more... You're doing, you're not doing this for me, are you? I smiled gently, gently. No, Hannah, don't worry. Because you know that we've, um, 
now we've split up, you can do all the things that used to annoy me. You can come home drunk, wherever you like, and you can do as many of your stupid boy projects as you want. It's not about us, Hannah. Because you know that just because you've changed doesn't mean we're going to get back together again, you know. Don't you? I know. Even if you did buy a hand wash for the bathroom. I know, I said. And you can't mend a relationship with a garlic crusher. Is that a Norwegian proverb? No, I'm, I'm referring to the new garlic crusher in your kitchen. I didn't even know it was a garlic crusher. And no, I know you can't mend a, a relationship with a garlic crusher. To be honest, I don't even know how you crush a garlic with one. With one. Okay, then, said Hannah, opening the door to leave. But listen, you should make more of an effort. It's time you got back out there. It's time you shop, stop making excuses saying no to everyone. Because you're not just saying no to your friends, you're saying no to yourself. I paused for a second to place the quote. Dawson Creek? Yep, said Hannah. Bye. Bye. Look, Dan, I said, said Ian. Will you just tell me what the fucking bloke on the bus said to you? Or should I make another appointment? Okay, I'll tell you. I put my pint down on the table and looked Ian in the eye. He said, Say yes more. I picked up my pint again and took a sip. I raised my eyebrows so that Ian should be impressed. But for some reason, he still appeared to be waiting for more. That's the problem with the MTV generations. Never satisfied. Is that it? He said. Say yes more? Yep, I said, smiling. That's it. The sentence tipped off the man on the bus's tongue like he'd been saying it all his life. Say yes more, he'd said. Say yes more, I'd repeated. Three little words of such power. People, the people without passions are the ones who always say no, he'd said moments before, and turned stunned to listen. And I turned stunned to listen. But the happiest one, the happiest people are the ones who understand that good things occur when one allows them. And that was it, that. That was all it took to turn my life on its head. A few choice sentences from a complete and utter stranger. A stranger on the bus. And a bearded stranger at that. This went against everything I held true. If there was one lesson that I'd been drummed into me as a kid, it was to never listen to a, to a bearded stranger. I'll be honest... It was a fairly odd moment for me. I felt like Karate Kid sitting next to Mr. Miyaki. One minute we'd been idly chatting about this, about that, and about what we'd done with our weeks, and the next, this thin and bearded man dropped a philosophical bombshell. I couldn't work out whether it was just a coincidence, whether his words were really intended for me, whether they truly reflected our conversation or whether they 
were just a throwaway ramblings of a some bloke in a bus. If I'd been in a, another good mood, I might just have laughed them off, or buried my head in the newspaper, or politely ignored them. But then my friends' concerns and everything that had happened, or in a way, everything that hadn't happened, the words on a strange and important resonance. Say yes more. And that was when I had a revelatory moment. That's the stupidest bloody thing I've heard, said Ian, ever the diplomat. Some drunk bloke on a bus mutters something oblique and you claim it's changed your life? Bollocks. How come you never listen to me when I'm drunk? Because when you're drunk, you usually talk about us buying a caravan and moving to Dorset. Oh, we should though. Just think of the... And anyway, he wasn't drunk. We'd been talking about what we'd been up to that week. He seemed very interested. And what did you tell him? I told him that I'd been staying in a lot, not doing much, having early nights. And was that all? Pretty much. And it was. The simple fact of the matter was this man would probably have no idea of his impact on the on, on his, the impact of his word, words. I was surely just someone who he wanted who wanted to make a decision, who deep down wanted to make a change. His words were just the catalyst that kick started me into action. I wish I could claim he was a shaman, some kind of spiritual figure, sent into my life at a time to push me over the edge. And as much as I'd like to believe that, the fact is that he probably was just a bloke on a bus. Just like the next bloke you'll sit on a, on next to in a bus. Be chatty, be wise, and wise. He doesn't sound much like Jesus to me, said Ian, apart from the beard. I never said he was Jesus, or Buddha for that matter. Buddha probably would have just smiled a lot. Or taking you to a nice restaurant. That's the thing about Buddha. He knows how to have a good time. Ian, listen. It wasn't Jesus or Buddha. It was just a bloke on a bus. So why are you taking him seriously? Because he was right. And you were right. And Hannah was right. But the thing is, none of you know how you were right. So what are you saying? Just that you're going to start saying yes more? That's hardly an announcement. I'm going to say yes to everything. Everything? What do you mean everything? I mean, I'm going to say yes to everything from now on. Ian looked shocked. When do you start? That's just a thing, I said, finishing my pint and looking looking at him dead in the eye. I already have. End of chapter.